0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Thank you, worship team, for uh, helping us to have that hope in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Gary, one of the pastors here. At Paseo Del Rey, we're glad that you chose to come and be with us and worship him and open his word and fellowship and pray together, and we pray that you'll leave here today encouraged in that hope that we have in Jesus Christ who's changing us and changing us every single day of our lives by his grace. Um, I think that probably every one of us have um, one time or another gotten a phone call or been in a meeting or had a conversation. And in that, the decisions or thoughts that were shared in that conversation, it started a succession of changes in our life, and our life was never the same afterwards. Uh, Maybe maybe you got a, a phone call or an email, and it said, you made the team, you know, and it's like, yeah, 12 and under soccer, you know, or, or 14 under baseball, or um, you, you made the orchestra, your second chair violin, and that phone call really just changed everything. Or maybe you got a phone call that said, you've been accepted to um, UCSD, or Southwestern, or San Diego State, or wherever it is, and, and you got that notification, just like, and that is just going just gonna to change your whole future. Um, you know, maybe... Maybe you got a call uh, from, your are married, you got a call from your wife, and she said, honey, we're pregnant, and you're like, wow, this is so cool, and by the way, honey, it's triplets, you know, like happened here in our church, and, and that kind of changed the whole future, didn't it? Or, or, um, um, or maybe you got a call from your spouse, and your spouse said, hey, honey, we're going on vacation, and you're like, yeah, that sounds really good, and uh, your mother-in-law's coming along. And and then you're kind of you're kind of down, and, and, and then and then your spouse says, and she's paying for the whole trip. It's like yeah, oh, you know we're, we're all over that thing. Um, uh, I think probably the, the the here on earth the the most meaningful conversation that I've ever had that just changed everything is in April's my, uh, my wife's, my girlfriend at the time, her driveway out on La Mesa, 4172 South Tropical, in her driveway when I asked her to marry me in my 67 MG, uh, and I asked her to marry me, and she said, yes, I will marry you. And that has just changed everything, hasn't it? And so all of you have experiences like that where what happens at, in this conversation, it just has huge... Effects for the rest of your life. Well, we're going to come to a conversation in the book of Galatians. We want you to find your way to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, this is Paul's letter that he writes to a bunch of believers who live in a region called Galatia, southern Turkey. And um, he is reporting this morning in Galatians chapter 2 about a conversation or a meeting that he had, and the ramifications of this meeting. Are humongous, and I don't think we would be here this morning in church uh, if this meeting would have gone bad. This meeting, almost two thousand or a little over two thousand years ago, this conversation around a table, perhaps, um, uh, has such implications for you and for me as it had for the people living in that first century, and this meeting. would have changed everything if it would have gone another way. Um, if this meeting would have gone sideways um, hey, by the way, how many of you have had bacon this week? Raise your hand. I'm not a, a heart surgeon, so I'm, it's OK. How, how many of you have had, have had ham this week? OK. All if this meeting would have gone sideways, you would be worried about burning in hell. I'm not exaggerating. If this meeting would have gone bad, if this meeting would have gone sideways, this meeting in about 50 A.D. in Jerusalem, I want you to picture this meeting. It's maybe, we can just imagine. It's in a, a room built out of stones or built out of clay, and maybe there's a table, and there's maybe six or eight participants at this meeting, and they're sitting around. And the import of this meeting, you didn't even maybe you didn't even know about this meeting before this morning. If if this meeting would have gone bad, if you texted more than two letters or deleted more than two letters on the Sabbath yesterday, you would be in danger of losing your salvation. Now, can you imagine living under a fear like that, that if on the Sabbath, if you texted more than two characters or deleted more than two characters, or if you turned on a light switch, an electric light switch on the Sabbath, that you were in danger of being on the outs forever with God. And probably more important than those silly little things, but those silly little things represent a huge big thing. You if this meeting would have gone bad, you would have you would be have a life's a sentence of life on parole. And if any time in your life you violated as much of one of the 613 rules and regulations and commands in the Scriptures, you you missed one of them and the thousands of regulations that, that the traditions that have been added on top of that, if you missed one of those, you were liable to the fires of hell if this meeting would have gone sideways. Uh, and, and so I want us to look at this meeting, and, um, and, and, and I think you are going to be glad this morning that this meeting turned out the way it did. And, and I want you to, to get loose from the slavery that it's what you and I do to get into the kingdom of God, and the slavery that it's what we do or don't do to stay in the kingdom of God, and I want you to get out of that slavery and to come into the freedom that it is all, all, all what Jesus Christ did what he did on the cross, what he completed there for us, that's the reason we're accepted and loved by God, and that's the reason we will always be accepted and loved by God. It's what Jesus Christ did, not what we do and not what we add to it. It's the gospel message. So let's take a look at it here. Galatians chapter two, it's on page 11 something, uh, uh, 11,000, 1168 in the Bible that's near you. So Galatians chapter two. So then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So about 14 years earlier than this meeting, Paul, the old Paul, Um, had uh, excelled at keeping God's rules. He didn't keep them perfectly, but he was at the top of his class. And he he believed that if he could keep enough rules, that he could obligate God into loving him. Uh, Same thing I did with April when I first met her. And uh, she was in high school and I was in college. And I figured, man, if I can find out the things she likes... And if I can check off enough of them, then she's going to be obligated to date me. And uh, isn't God's grace amazing? You know, because there's no way. There's no way. But that's the way we human beings do things to try to earn the love of other people by trying to keep a checklist of things. And the Apostle Paul was great at it. I mean, he was top of the class at it. Um, he, got the, he got the awards. He outwardly kept all of the laws of God outwardly, inwardly. It was a whole different story for him as it, as it was. And one day, 14 years earlier than this meeting, the Apostle Paul was, was going, he was persecuting Christians, as we talked about last week, and Jesus Christ headed, head-ended him. Jesus Christ just got right in his way and and saturated Paul with the gospel. And Paul suddenly realized how deep his sinfulness really was. He suddenly realized by the grace of God that he was more flawed and more messed up and more broken than he ever imagined that he was. But at the very same time, that he was more loved and accepted and valued and forgiven in Jesus than he could have ever dreamed would be possible. And the gospel came alive to him. And Paul realized that all of that rule-keeping to try to earn God's love was nothing but rubbish. And that's what he calls it. And so now, 14 years later, saturated and dripping in the gospel, um, Paul goes up to Jerusalem. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. It's in the mountains. So when you read in Scripture, almost every time it says, we went up to Jerusalem. So the apostle Paul went up to Jerusalem. He had been there before. And the reason he went to Jerusalem, well, several reasons... Uh, one of the reasons is Jerusalem is the, is the mother church. It's where it all started. It's where the big apostles are, uh, Peter and James and John, and this is where they are. And so the apostle Paul went back up to Jerusalem, back up to the mother church. And he did so for a number of reasons. And I just want to share two of the reasons that are right here in our text. One of the reasons he went up is he received a revelation, verse two. I went to Jerusalem in response to, to a revelation. He doesn't go into detail, but it was clear um, that Jesus somehow spoke very clearly and very directly and gave him direct revelation and told him when and where to go. Now, I've never had a revelation like that, and uh, uh, this, is, this won't be on your entrance exam to heaven. I don't know that Jesus gives revelations like that anymore. Maybe he does. I know what, how Jesus speaks to me, is that He speaks to me by His Spirit, through His Word, because there's lots in here that I still need to obey. And, 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 and he's just really clear. And this is the way, this revelation is how He speaks mostly to us. But sometimes He speaks to us, and we need to listen for His Spirit's nudging, His Spirit's pushing. Um, uh, my wife, April, was in a kind of an ongoing conversation with one of our kids. And So one day I I was praying. I was praying for my wife. And I just prayed, Lord, help her in this conversation. There's a little bit of difficult road to to traverse, traverse, as there often is in relationships. And as I was praying, I I just got this impression. It was, um, don't complicate things. And I kept praying. And I just got that impression again. Don't complicate things. As I was praying for April and one of our kids. Don't overcomplicate things. I think the time where you, when you're listening for the Spirit, you wanna listen even harder when you feel a prompting in a direction that you normally wouldn't go. Because my, my, my tendency in discussions is to make sure my kids understand from every single possible angle, right? Because if I tell them and they don't do what I want, well, they just didn't understand. So I come back and I tell them another way and I tell them another way and I tell, tell them another way. And I overcomplicate things. Um, and so, so like, like if the Holy Spirit said to me as I was praying for April, overcomplicate things. I know that's not the Holy Spirit, right? That's me. If when, if I, when I go to the Porsche dealership and there's that Porsche Cayenne there and April and I are there looking at it and I say, I say honey, I just sense the Holy Spirit telling us we should buy this now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the Holy Spirit, right? That's Gary's spirit, right? So when the Spirit tells you things that you already want to do, not sure. Might be, I, I try to convince April. I want to please pray that way. We, we convince, I could convince her. But especially listen when the Holy Spirit tells you things to, to do that are contrary to what you would normally choose to do. And so I shared that later that night with April, and she just said, that, that's, I think that's really, that's a, I think that's a word from God. And I didn't tell her it was a revelation because it wasn't a revelation. It's different than a revelation, but it's listening to the Holy Spirit. And she really sensed, and indeed, that helped then in a subsequent conversation with, with this child, this, uh, the, an adult child. So Paul, though, went in direct revelation. Jesus spoke to him clearly, told him when to go, where to go, how to go, and he told him who to take with him, as we'll see in just a minute. Now, another reason the apostle Paul went, and this is implied in the text, is he went because he was fearful. He went because he was fearful. Now, where is that in the text? The word doesn't appear in the text, but in verse 2, uh, let me show you where I get that. I went in response to a revelation. There, there's the first reason. And I met privately with those who were esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I had preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And the Apostle Paul was fearful about something here. He wanted to make sure that he hadn't been running the the race in vain. Now, Paul was not fearful that he had the true gospel. We've seen that in chapter 1 over and over again, that he received the gospel as a direct revelation. Chapter 1, verse 12 I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This, again, won't be on the entrance exam to heaven. Um, I think that Jesus in his resurrection body, and you can think something very different. This is not, nothing about anything about salvation. But I think or wonder if Jesus in his resurrection body didn't appear to, to Paul there on that road to Damascus, and then later to teach him the gospel out of resurrection lips. Now, whether he did it in his resurrection body or he just spoke to him in his heart and his mind, it really doesn't matter. But I think that when when he says this, he received it by revelation from Jesus. So Paul didn't fear that he had the wrong gospel. Paul knew he had the true gospel. Paul didn't fear the apostles. He wasn't fearful of the apostles. In fact, he speaks not disparagingly of them in this chapter, but he says, well, some people think they're esteemed, basically. So he's not overly impressed by any man. He realizes he respects who they are. Of course he does. But he's not awed by them, and he's not in fear of them. And he's not fearful that the apostles in Jerusalem don't have the true gospel. He knows they have the true gospel, that a person is made right can be made right with God By one way and one way only, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That it's Christ alone. Paul had that gospel. He knew that the apostles in Jerusalem had the gospel, the true gospel. So, what is it that Paul feared? Well, I think what Paul feared was that while the apostles in Jerusalem had the true gospel, he feared that they might not be being true to the true gospel that they were perhaps adding something to the true gospel. And when you add anything to the true gospel, it turns the gospel upside down. It perverts the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It takes the good news of Jesus, and it turns it into bad news. And I think this was what Paul's fear was, that the apostles in Jerusalem who knew the true gospel were adding something to the gospel and making it now an untrue gospel. Anytime you add anything to the gospel, you ruin it. You wreck it. It's done. It's a, it's a damnable gospel. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I love water. I love H2O. Um, uh, you know, two parts of hydrogen. Oh, man, those two parts of hydrogen are just so good. Uh, that one part of oxygen, though, is really what makes it, doesn't it? Kind of the finished taste in your mouth. And if you add one more part of oxygen, you come up with hydrogen peroxide, right? Is that right? Some of you chemists, thank you. And if you drink H2O2, the sermon would be over. (laughs) And I would be in heaven very quickly, right? So anytime you add anything to the gospel, you pervert it and you turn it into something that damns people, rather than his good news. And so this is what I think Paul was fearing as he came, that that, that the apostles there had taken the true gospel and were allowing others to persuade them to pervert the gospel. Now, you'll notice that the apostle Paul took some people along with him. We're always better in teams. We're better in elder teams. You're better in talking with other people about decisions. You're um, we don't go on missions trip just one one person. We're always better in teams together. And the apostle Paul, and I wonder if it wasn't part of the revelation that God maybe even told him who to take with him. And who he took with him was brilliant. That yeah, God is so smart. He, he just, he's just smarter than the average guy, isn't he? And he took two people along with him. Let's see who those two people were. Verse, two, verse one then after 14 years, 14 years after he was saturated in the gospel, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, this time with Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is a, has been a follower of Jesus for a long time, a lot longer than the apostle Paul. We first meet Barnabas, whose name means son, bar. Whenever you see the Hebrew name bar, it always means son. So, um, Son of Encourager, son of Encouragement. And so Barnabas, this is a brilliant move on God's part. Barnabas is a Jew who's come to know Christ. He's a Messianic Jew. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's a disciple maker for Jesus. But his cultural heritage is Jewish. That's a great, great idea, Paul. Great idea, God, to take Barnabas along with you. But he also took along another fellow a fellow by the name of Titus, at the end of verse two. I took Titus along also. Now, Titus probably became a believer in Jesus, perhaps under Paul's ministry. Paul calls him my true son in the faith. And Titus is a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's a disciple-making disciple of Jesus. But, but he's of a different ethnic race than Jews. And Jews thought they were the kind of the, the best, the top, the top racial group, and then there was kind of everybody else. And Titus is not in the in-group. He's not in the cultural, religious in-group. He's a different color. He's a different, he speaks a different language, we, we, we would say today. Um, he's very different than the Jews. And because he's not a Jew, because he's a Greek or a Gentile, There's also something else very interesting about Titus. He's not circumcised. Now, I just want to tell you here, it's okay to laugh a little bit about this. It's a little uncomfortable kind of a thing to talk about. And if you laugh a little, you actually will help me a lot. So, because I don't want to be the only one talking about circumcision here this morning, okay? We all know what it is. We all understand it. It's funny. And it's okay to laugh a little bit. And it hurts a lot. Okay? Thank you very much. So so the Apostle Paul, under God's direction, brings along Barnabas, this Jewish guy who is circumcised, right? Follower of Jesus. And he brings along Titus, who's not Jewish, who is not circumcised, but is a follower of Jesus. And Paul brings him along to push the issue. This is not gonna be an easy lunch meeting, right? Someone's gonna pick up the tab on this one. And so um, uh, here's the issue, Is is are people justified with God? Justification are they justified by faith in what Christ has done? Are are we made friends with God? We who are enemies of God, are we made friends with God by what Christ did alone, or are we made uh, are, are we made friends with God by what Christ did plus something else? And you can fill in the blank of what the something else is. Today, sometimes in churches, people think that you're made right with God, that you're justified by faith, by all that Jesus Christ did, plus what? You help me out a little bit here. What are things that we sometimes add? You're that you're baptized. And that you're baptized in a certain way, right? right? And you're baptized in the name of Jesus. Or you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know there's a denomination that's split because uh, the, the the only way you can be saved is to be baptized in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, so it's Jesus plus all, the right formula, right? Okay. What else do we add? Sometimes Wor- works. What, let's talk. What kind of works? Good good works. Okay. <laughs> We have a firm grasp on the obvious here, as I like to say, yeah. What kind of good works? Thank you. What is it? Helping the poor. poor. If if you're a Christian, you're saved by what Jesus did and by helping the poor. Um, When I grew up, it was uh, not going to the movies or not drinking alcohol, not dancing, dancing or going with girls who do. Uh, For some Christians, it's, it's, for some Christians, it's coming to know Christ and not having tattoos, right? Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you what some people add to it, right? It's what? Women need to dress a certain way. Yeah, men need to dress a certain way, right? right. The right, right kind of theology, right? Uh, reformed, deformed, exformed, it doesn't matter. But this kind of theology, right? Uh, that's what it is. Um, and I'm going to say, tell, say your controversial one is it's what Jesus did and heterosexuality. It's what Jesus did. Let me just say, that's not controversial. That's sick. That's sick to think that it's what Jesus did and you have to be a heterosexual. Now, you know that Jesus wants to repent of our sin, but that's not in any way a, a, a way that someone gets into the kingdom of God, is it? It's what Jesus Christ did alone, or my political party, or to vote the way that I think you should vote, or to be the ethnicity, Now we don't say this out loud, but sometimes some people do, but we don't say this out loud, but we think my ethnicity for some reason is more Privileged and desires, deserves God's grace more than some other ethnicity. That's exactly what was happening here in Jerusalem. The Jews thought they should keep it to themselves. And if you wanted to come into the kingdom, you had to vote like them, you had to keep the laws that they had, you had to be circumcised like that, you had to become like their ethnic group. You've got to understand that this is about racism. Part of this is about racism that's here in the scripture. So for the early church, the the plus was, it was Jesus Christ plus obeying the law of God. And first and foremost was that you had to obey the law of God to be circumcised. And it's a pretty easy one to check up on, right? You know, some of the other laws are not quite as easy. I don't know how they did it. You know, maybe they have like a TSA screen, you know. And they had some deacons, probably, or deacons, yeah, not deaconesses. They had some deaconess, deacons, who their job is to go back. Okay, let's see. And, and so, oh, he's good. He's rescued because he's believed in Jesus and he's kept the law, right? This law to be circumcised. So, you can, remember I asked you to imagine this room. So you got this room and around the table, there's a bunch of people. There's Paul and there's Barnabas and there's John and there's Peter and there's James and maybe there's a couple of others and there's Titus. Now, in this room, guess who has the sweaty palms? (laughs) Titus. He is like, there is like tension in this room that you could, excuse the pun, cut with a knife, you know? And every time Titus in this meeting, every time he heard the silverware clanking, you know, they were bringing in a kosher meal, you know, bacon and stuff like that. Every time he heard the clanking of silverware, oh, he just kind of, kind of winced, kind of big time. Have you ever been in a place, a room, small group of people, and it's just, there's tension, you know? Uh, I think it was, I think it was Thanksgiving last year. I don't know why tension follows me, but it does, and I was sitting at one end of the table, and my brother-in-law and I, I discovered at, at Thanksgiving dinner that he and I, and I shouldn't say this, I, I'll say it this way, that he doesn't know the right person to vote for for president. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And, and we had a tense, about five minutes, and my good wife, she just kind of comes in with, the, oh, here's the turkey, let's carve this one off here, you know. And, but man, there was just this tension, and, you know, it could have easily escalated into grabbing the knives and carving each other up, that kind of a thing. And so around this table, there is this incredible tension that's going on. Will Titus have to be circumcised? Because everyone around that table, everyone around that table would say that it's what Jesus has done, that a man, a woman, a child is made right with God by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, is that where the period will be? Or will that be a comma? Plus keeping some rules. Or will they have the period at the end? It's what Jesus did. And Titus, Titus is, is losing weight by the moment as he sits there. Will he be compelled to be circumcised? Hallelujah. The gospel stood firm. Hallelujah. Paul says in verse 3, you've read ahead, I know you did, yet not even Titus, who was with me, you got to celebrate with him, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Oh my goodness, what a difference it made for Titus, the gospel. What a difference it makes for us today that the curse was crushed by Jesus and the slavery to having to worry day in and day out, have we done enough, is done away with. We are set free and that it's all to get into the family and to stay in the family. It's Jesus plus nothing. And they're at this council, this meeting in Jerusalem, it was the stake was put into the ground. Because see, the, look over in Galatians chapter 3. Look over, and we're going to come back to it in a few weeks, but look in Galatians chapter 3. Do you understand what's at stake if you add anything to the gospel? you add everything to the gospel. If you add one law to the gospel, you add all of the laws to the gospel. If you add one more plus to the gospel, you add all of the pluses to the gospel. Look in verse 10, Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works, the good works of the law, that's what we're talking about, anyone who, who relies on the works of the law are under a curse Because it is written in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do, read that word with me please, everything written in the book of the law. And so if you start down this road, well, there's just one more requirement. Jesus plus, you just say, there's just one more thing. You can't stop at one more thing. You have to keep all of the laws of Scripture perfectly or you're, you're, you're going to head for hell. Clearly, verse 11, Paul says, there's no one who relies on the law will be justified before God. Because here's how people are made right with God. The righteous will live by faith. It's faith in what Jesus did, not faith in what we do or don't do. He says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. So you have to live by every single one of them. But Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for it. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. Jesus bears that curse for us. He fulfills the law perfectly. No one else does. And when he dies in our place, he takes all of the penalty for our misdeeds, all of the penalties for us not obeying the law, and he bears them upon himself. Hallelujah. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And Paul says in verse 4, this whole matter arose because some pseudo-Christians, some pretend gospel holders, some false believers had infiltrated. I love how J.B. Phillips' translation says it. It says, they wormed their way in to spy on our liberty. Oh, I can just picture that. These false pretenders, oh, they couldn't just come and pound on the door, say we're coming in with an addition to the gospel. They wormed their way into our meeting. They infiltrated our meeting. And they said, oh, the gospel's good. Oh, we love the gospel. Let's sing the gospel songs more and more. But when you're done with the songs, Titus, you gotta be circumcised. Gary, you can't eat bacon. Brian, you can't flip a light switch. Edna, you're on probation for life. And if you miss one part of the rules and regulations, you're out of the party. You're done. You're gone. You're headed for hell. Oh, this is not good news, is it? This is bad, bad news. This matter arose, verse 4, because some false pseudo-Christians had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment. So that the gospel, the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then look at the end of verse six. These apostles, they added nothing to my message. They have added nothing to my message. And you see what they were doing at that meeting is they were preaching the gospel to themselves. They had to remind themselves again and again of what the gospel really said. Because the tendency is always to add something to the gospel. Because there's something inside of us that we want to do part. But the part we do, over and over again we understand that, uh, that what we try to do is sinful and it's wrong and we're messed up and we're broken. And we think so highly of ourselves, don't we? We think we can make it up to God. We think we can change our behavior. We think we can keep these laws And we've proven over and over and over again what a mess and how fouled up and how flawed up we are. And yet Jesus says, it's all about what I've done. Could you imagine taking this false gospel to your neighbors to share Christ with them? Could you imagine taking this false gospel to the ends of the earth and sharing with Brad Buser a couple of Sundays ago? Could you imagine him going into Papua New Guinea? Can you imagine us going into Mexico or into Belize or Brazil and say, hey, guys, come and gather around. Gather around. We have people back home praying for you, and we want to share the gospel with you. Here it is. Until you get your act together, God doesn't give a damn about you. Oh, what a good news. That would be right. Until you tribal people stop doing this kind of stuff, until you stop marrying several wives God's angry with you, and God doesn't care about you. Or, or you say to your neighbor, hey, um, hey neighbor, you know what? Um, um, uh, you know, un- until you stop sleeping around, until, instead, until you stop twisting the truth, until, until you get your temper under control, God doesn't give a whack about you. And that's a damnable burden. You mean? You mean? You mean? If I keep losing my temper, God doesn't care. He doesn't love me. That's right. You got the gospel right. Man, what kind of message is that? But the gospel that we take to our neighbors is that is that is that, is that all of us are more fouled up and screwed up and sinful. And Jesus offers each of us a relationship with him if we just turn to him and we discover in him that we're more loved and accepted and valued than anyone could ever imagine. That's the gospel. That's that's why the nations can be made glad through the message that, that, that we take to them. Now, I want you to see something really interesting, I think, in this passage. I think this is so important. Is that both the gospel pretenders and the true gospel people, Paul, both of them are teaching that we should obey the laws of God. Paul is not over here saying, oh, it's all what Jesus did. Now it's okay to lie. It's okay to steal. It's okay to commit adultery. That's fine because the law is not relevant to you. Both the gospel pretenders and Paul are teaching the people you should obey the law of God. Not the dietary laws, uh, you know, the, they've, they've been done away with, but the, the, the Ten Commandments, that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. Both Paul and the false gospels, people were teaching that they should obey the law. But they were, t- they were saying it with totally different motivation. The gospel pretenders were saying, you should keep the law of God so that you can bribe God to love you so that you can earn god 's love, where the apostle Paul says, "You know the reason now we want to obey the law of God, you know why we are empowered to, love, to, to obey the law of God is because of how God has already loved us and see it 's about motivation. The changed the gospel changes us the gospel Um, turns the ought, you ought to do this, you have to do this, you should do this, so that God loves you, it turns it into a wanting to do this. The gospel changes us, In obedience now is fueled by my gratefulness. Isn't it true? When I'm forgiven by my wife, I'm more forgiving of her. When my wife is graceful to me, it's so much easier to be graceful to her. We forgiven people forgive. We people who receive mercy give mercy. I don't, I, I'm not merciful to other people because I hope it will earn me God's love. I'm merciful to, God, to other people because God's been so merciful to me. He's bowed so low down to serve me, and that's why I wanna, now I want to bow down low to serve Him and to serve other people. And you'll notice the very last verse, passage, last verse in, the, in the passage uh, here in verse 10. And Paul says, is, they didn't add anything to the gospel. He says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. That's why we are involved in ladle fellowship. And that's why we're involved in Thursday meals. And that's why we're involved in Project Hand. And that's why we're involved in clean water for Rwanda. And that's why we go to trolley trestle. And that's why we care and love the poor. It's not so that God will look and say, oh, okay, now I'm obliged to Gary. Now I owe something to Gary. We do it because God's been so generous with us. The reason we want to be generous with the poor is because God has been generous with us, the poor, and the broken, and the messy. See, the gospel changes us. The law is not done away with. It's been fulfilled. But now we want to obey God. We want to live for Him because of what He's done in rescuing us the mess. This last week, I got a text. I was texting with someone, not not anyone in the church, uh, and I was texting with them, and uh, and I was trying to help them with something, and they text. I, I said I must. I, I said something that they didn't like, and they texted me back two paragraphs that were so critical and so harsh, and it was like what? And I just you know I got my thumbs back on my phone, and man, I had some things I was going to tell them, and I was just thinking I you jerk. But I was afraid that'd go viral. Um, you know, I was thinking, well, hey man, I'm just trying to help you here. And I thought of, um, guy, man, I'm sorry it's your world and I'm just living in it. I'm sorry. Or, or um, I thought, man, I'm sorry I'm such a disappointment to you. I mean, just, just dripping with sarcasm, right? And I just thought, I, thought, I just need to straighten them out. I need to give them the what for, because if I don't, who else is gonna? You know, I mean, I'm, that's one of my gifts that God's given me, you know, is to straighten out jerks, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm thinking, and, 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 and it was, I, just as I was sitting there, I just took my hands off my phone. I said, this is probably the best thing is just wait a little bit, right, and then it was like the Lord said to me, um, how have I treated you when you've been a jerk? How did I treat those who hurled insults at me when I was on the cross? When people spat at me on the cross and when I suffered on the cross? How, how did I respond to you, Gary? He, you know, he didn't respond. He didn't retaliate. He didn't return insult for insult. He didn't throw back at me what a jerk I was. Now, now see, that's my natural sinful reaction, isn't it? And and, and and it was like the Lord said to me, he said to me, hey Gary, what's the sin? Because you've already murdered this guy in your thoughts, right? He said, it was like he said to me, what's the sin beneath the sin? And I've really been thinking about that a lot recently. We've talked about it then in one of our Bible studies. What's the sin beneath the sin? And the the sin was my ugliness and my retaliation and wanting to return evil for evil, right? That's just so sinful and human. And, but the sin beneath the sin was I was feeling insecure. It was about me. And I just had this, well, someone thinks something that's not true about me, that's wrong about me, and I don't like that, and what if they tell someone else what a jerk they think I am? And I just just really realized the sin beneath the sin was about me. It was my insecurity. And the gospel, I had to preach the gospel to myself. Jesus helped me to preach the gospel to myself. Gary, you're so secure in me. I love you. I'm with you. In fact, I live inside of you. And because I've been... Gary, you know, when I came down from heaven, man, I'm so superior to you. Philippians 2 tells us. But I left all of that and I emptied myself. And I poured myself out, and I became a servant to people who were inferior to me, to people that spat on me and hurled insults at me and hung me on a cross. And I became their servants. I poured myself out. Gary, that's what I want you to do. And you're secure in me the whole time. And to be able to respond like Jesus would have responded, or I hope how Jesus would have responded, and see here, the cool thing was, it wasn't to earn his love. It was because he loved me so much already. See, the gospel, when we understand the gospel, the gospel changes us. Rules don't change us for very long. Shame changes us for a short time. Check boxes, religion, They don't change us. It's Jesus who has loved us just just like we are. Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus who has loved us so recklessly and dramatically and completely in the midst of our messiness and sin. It's Jesus who changes us. Let him change you. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. That's what this whole meeting was about. Would they preach the gospel to themselves or would they fall back under slavery, under a hellish slavery of what if I haven't done enough? But Jesus, you have done enough. You have done it all. And so it's into you that we fall and into you that our our future is held, and into you that our security is, and in you is our significance. Not in how we perform, or how we do, or how we don't do, or how somebody else does, but it's we're safe in you, the Lord of the universe, who came down, emptied himself, and made himself nothing to serve us. And so Jesus, free us. Let the gospel change us so that we choose, so ought becomes want. And the fuel of our obedience is gratitude for how incredibly gracious you have been and are and always will be to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you have a great day full of His grace. Preach the gospel to yourself and to each other.